Thank you so much for joining us here on OBP for the season four premiere. Can't wait to bring it to you. But first, we want to talk about 641media.com. We've got a brand new selection of baseball articles, including a 2020 Toronto Blue Jays position by position preview. We'd love for you to check it out as well as our brand new video game focus section, Save State. Hopefully enjoy. Now onto the podcast. Joining me now on OBP, a couple of guests joining us for the debut episode, the premiere episode of season four, Thomas Scott and John Spotton. Guys, it's Hall of Fame induction day. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Is that like Christmas morning? I guess it is for some no, it's, people. No, it's a day where all the hack writers get to choose who goes <laughs> into the most prestigious Hall of Fame in, uh, in North America. 28 seconds in, you've already criticized the Writers Association. <laughs> look, have you taken a look at some of the ballots? I have. Yeah. How can you not? I saw an ESPN one, and look, I, I'm not trying to. Look, these these are their personal choices. They, you know, they can have their own vote. That's fine. But uh, you know, choosing someone like Jeff Kent over Larry Walker uh, just blows my mind, and I've seen that. And uh, anyways, we don't have to get into that right now. I'm, I'm just I'm just putting that out there. We'll share our own Hall of Fame ballots a little bit later in the show. But first, I want to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. This is now a show based in Toronto, and they went out and bought Nace for the first time since 2005 with Hun Jin Ryu. Thomas, I want to start with you. What does bringing on Ryu mean for the Blue Jays? And, like, just being perfectly frank, it's the number one starter that you needed if you're a Blue Jays fan for years now. It's probably our first legitimate ace since that half season of David Price. And I'd say probably your first full season with a legitimate ace since probably Roy Halladay. I mean, you could throw A.J. Burnett in there, but no one replaces what Roy Halladay brought to the Jays. And if you're if you're looking at it, you look at what the Yankees did bringing in Garrett Cole. You needed to bring in someone if you're the Jays to at least go pitch for pitch with Garrett Cole, and that's what Hingenry really brings you is a more competitive start against a guy like Garrett Cole. So is that the goal now? Is it to go against the Yankees with your player ads? Because it feels like five seconds ago they were just trying to stay out of the basement of the division. Where did the shift come in there? I think when they realized Boston isn't what they thought they were, especially after coming off the 2018 World Series, and then really not playing well at all in 2019. And you're going to stay out of the basement because you still have Baltimore in the division, and that's really hard to be worse than the Baltimore Orioles. So you look at what Tampa did with their young core and how well they performed with that, and I think that started to change the shift on Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro to say, we can really make some big moves here and get ourselves into a wildcard spot, if not even fight for the top of the division in a few years. So, John, what do you think Ryu will bring to the table moving from the NL West to the AL East? Um, so that's something that I was kind of concerned about at first when I heard the rumors that they were going after Ryu, is how would he fare in the AL East? And the one thing of note is that he doesn't give up a ton of home runs for a guy that doesn't strike out a bunch um and that's something obviously when you're going against a team like the yankees you 
you <laughs> you have to be mindful of, and especially in this era of uh, baseball, it's like home runs are being hit out like it's nothing. But yeah, in 100 inning, uh, 182 innings pitched uh, last year, only gave up 17 home runs, which is like, I don't know, that's pretty good for a guy that was pitching in the NL and in the NL West against like playing at pitching at Dodger Stadium. So, and um, Coors Field, don't forget. Yeah, Coors Field yeah, too. Coors Field. Like he's going to he's going to Coors Field and pitching against the Rockies at least two or three or four times a year. So, um, yeah, I think I against the rest of the division. Like you look at some of these teams, like the Red Sox. Yeah, they are right-handed heavy with like JD Martinez, Mookie Betts, Sander Bogarts. So there are some concerns there. But for me personally. I don't really care about lefty-ready matchup. If the pitcher, he has proven before that he can pitch like at the top of the rotation, the then he should be fine. And for him, uh, I would think the only concern for me right now for him is just how, his longevity. Because if the Jays are putting trust in him to be the ace, then they're going to need... There's injury history there. Yes, yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't pitched... 30 like he hasn't made 30 starts since his rookie year in 2013 so uh getting to 182 innings pitched last year was pretty huge for him because it was the first time he'd gone over 150 since 2014 so uh for that that's the only concern for me right now if i'm the blue jays is how much are we going to get out of him because they're going to need a lot out of him because right now he's really their only true number one guy so so what's next where do they go next? Do they look for another front-end rotation starter? Or do they just kind of pad out the rest of the team and look at where they are right now and say, okay, this is good for this year if we're going to compete within the next couple? I think you look at the 2021 free agent class, which looks pretty stacked right now, and kind of see what moves you can make then. It, even if you get because there's obviously the reports of Mookie Betts and David Price being a package deal together. If, you, if you're if you really meaning to compete for a wild card this year, that's maybe a trade you consider looking at, because your outfield right now has one glaring hole, and that's in center field, where you have Grichik can actually catch the ball in right field. Maybe you move him to center if you get a package including Mookie Betts. But how achievable but, is that to get Mookie Betts in Toronto and keep him there? That's actually the biggest concern because you don't want to really trade any top-notch prospects that could be only ready in a year or two if you're only really getting a year of Mookie Betts and then he leaves to who knows where, Dodgers. Maybe he goes back to Boston. Who knows? But I'm, I'm only making a deal with the Boston Red Sox for Mookie Betts if there's an extension involved in there because you want him for the long-term if you're a Jays fan, you want him in right field for right. his core years for the championship run. And and the, that lineup looks so scary on paper if you bring in Mookie Betts because he's a top-of-the-lineup hitter. Maybe he moved Bichette down to the two spot because Mookie Betts, he thrives in that leadoff spot. So, I, sorry, sorry, yeah, John, go. I, I think the biggest, for me anyways... The biggest mistake right now would be to go all in on someone like Mookie Betts or even Francisco Lindor, someone of that type, because 
you're just getting out of a rebuild. And I understand it's exciting times, but we also like a couple months with this team that we saw last year, like with Bichette in the big leagues, that's all we have with this current team right now. I think the, I know it's like hard to pass up on a guy like Mookie Betts when he's available. And especially if the Red Sox are reportedly asking for two, only the two top prospects. Is that, is that, yeah. Um, It's hard to pass up on a guy like that, but Right now, I don't think it's worth giving up someone like Biggio, Bichette, or Guerrero for a guy when you're just getting out of this and like go through it just one full season and see what it's like. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's maybe that's not smart because they could lose value or whatever. But I, that's just the personal route that I would like to see the team take. Anyways, it, it feels optimistic to think that the Blue Jays could pull a Yankees and just do you know, 30 seconds of rebuild before trying to get competitive again, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of dreaming, but I mean, I'm looking at the 2021 free agent class right now too, and maybe that's when you really take your stab at it if Mm -hmm. he's still available come next winter and you have guys like Mookie Betts right at the top of the list too of free agents, even Trevor Bauer. James Paxton too. James Paxton too. That's, I mean, then I know some Jays fans want to hear this name, Marcus Stroman's available, but... I feel like that bridge has almost been burned. Yeah, I think think that... Like, I I don't want to say anything about... I completely burned at this point. I don't want to say anything about either side, like I'm in the room, like I really know what's going on there, but from every public point of view that we've seen, it does feel like that bridge isn't quite there anymore. Yeah. I want to talk about the new look Blue Jays more in a little bit and assess how some of the new players, some of the current players will look on this team in 2020. But first, there's a couple of big news stories all around baseball right now. One of them's really, really good, like the best of the sport, the Hall of Fame. One of them's really, really bad, like the worst of the sport, like cheating. I want to talk about the Houston Astros now because that 2017 World Series no one's ever going to look at it in the same way. Is the championship tainted for you? Thomas, I'll start with you. I, I was just talking about this uh, with my mom yesterday, and I think there's there's absolutely no way you can say it's not. But you look at their 2016 home record and their 2017 home record, it's basically identical. The only reason they actually had an improved season is the road record was like the best in baseball in 2017. But, I mean, you look at it and it's whoever brought it in and all I've ever seen from the reports was it was a player that was acquired in the offseason came in and started saying, hey, like this is what we did on my X team and we can bring it in here. Well, so, it kind of looks like it was Alex Cora who did that coming in in that offseason to be the bench coach and then teaching a couple of players how to do it, right? Yeah, that's what it looks like, and I mean, then there's the whole Carlos Beltran thing, and that's a different story, but I mean, I can't say that I seriously think that the Astros should be World Series champions of 2017, and if anything, you look at it, it's like a 94, where there's no World Series champion, because the entire season gets flipped on its head. So you'd go that bold, you'd go beyond the asterisk and just take it away entirely. I'm taking it away entirely, because... You don't know how the season plays out. You don't know how that division plays out if 
there's no banging of the trash cans at Minute Maid Park. Like I said, the home record was almost identical. But, I mean, I almost think it's more of a distraction to the players to have banging around there, especially when they had the best road record in the MLB in 2017. John, do you agree or disagree? No, I'm there. Like, I I think it's... Well, actually, going to the banging, apparently that's what some of the players were complaining about, uh, was that it was... Some of them found it kind of distracting as you're listening for it and then you hear it a couple seconds before the windup and he did then the, you know, the pitch is coming at you, but um, the, yeah, the 2017 world series. Cause again, like they played in two game sevens, one against the Yankees, one against the Dodgers and it, the home and road stats were so like, even there where like uh, some of the players like Jose Altuve was hitting way better at home and there was such a disparity between the two, and I... Doesn't it feel like, though, that there are missing pieces to the puzzle? Because sometimes oh, sure sometimes is. when people are talking about the Astros, it's, you know, the home road splits are different because there's banging on the trash can, but now we're going to accuse them of using buzzers, which they should right. hypothetically be able to use on the road, except we're going to ignore that. It feels... We don't have all the answers, and it feels like exactly. some people are trying to push them in where they don't fit. That's why that's why I'm also kind of indifferent on it because yeah, I think it's wrong and it's nice to hate a team again. Like I really don't like <laughs> this team anymore because of especially with what the players have done since then. Like Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, like facing the media and looking just like 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 lawyers. Puppies. Yeah, like they look like they just like they're shaking shaking in their boots. A nice little Jose Bautista reference there for you. Um uh, they looked like they were just so nervous. They didn't know how to handle it. And it's like, these guys were talking so much trash and they were just like on the, you know, they're on the top of the world. They're running the league. And now they're scared to face the media and talk about this thing that they've been doing for two years now. And I guess 2019, 2018, not really confirmed, but 2017 for sure. Right. Was. And um, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but it, I don't know if like the world series happened. Like I watched it. So yeah, it's tainted, but like, I don't know there's still world series. So, it's just, it just sucks that they did it that way. Thomas, I mean, you were, at- you were super strong about this. So you're looking at a situation where now the coaches are gone. AJ Hinch is gone. Alex Cora is gone, even though he hasn't got a suspension yet. Jeff Luno, the general manager is gone. Is that the direction you would have gone? I, I think that was the logical choice. I think you look at the Astros owner, Jim Crane, I mean, what a bad position to be put in where you're trying to just oversee the front office, this all of a sudden bombshells on you. And, I mean, I, I don't know if he necessarily knew about it or if he didn't. I know he denies knowing about it, but how do you not know about this? And, I mean... The fallout of this, I think, is not the most surprising thing in the world because Hinch, obviously, if he didn't know about it, if he he knew about it but didn't stop it, that's definitely fireable. You didn't stop your team from cheating. Alex Cora, if he was the mastermind behind it, and again, then all of a sudden there's the 2018 allegations from the Boston Red Sox that they were cheating too, so that even implies even more onto how... Cora probably it, it doesn't look great for Cora. It does not look great at all. And I mean, the one year suspension from the MLB, I'm like, that's so light. 
because you know they're going to get fired. I was like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, these guys are getting fired. Well, you know, the one year suspension for Hinch and Luna was one thing, but Cora was named several times in the report. There's cause to believe that, and it's taking a long time to decide on his punishment. There's cause to believe there could be a ban around the corner. I'm I'm on board with that. I think if there's there's not a lifetime ban on this for Alex Cora, I will be shocked. John, uh, I'm I'm with you. I think there's a ban coming for at least someone. Uh, if the buzzer thing is true, look, Shoeless Joe Jackson was banned for life for the 1919 World Series. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Jose Altuve got the same treatment or something like that, because again, that is now that's taking it to a whole different level where it's like, he's got, he's got something attached to him, but Cora himself. And uh, is it, is it still alleged that the Red Sox cheated in 2018 at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. If that, if they find evidence that they did that in 2018, he, there's no way this guy's allowed to manage a baseball again because that's two different organizations he's been associated with and also doesn't help the fact that like everyone's kind of put blame on him for the Astros. So, uh, yeah, the, it, it, Cora definitely banned for life, I could see coming for sure. Ignoring the fact that the buzzer thing is completely unconfirmed for a moment, let's assume that, right. not assume, yeah. but let's say that the Astros were wearing buzzers, that's the reason the viral Altuve right. clip, whatever. Let's assume that's all true. Would Major League Baseball ban one of the five best players in the sport in 2020? I, oh man, that's tough. It's it's really tough. And uh, I'm glad I don't make these decisions, but... I suspect they wouldn't. I mean, I, it's, a, it's a personality-driven era in sports right now. Yeah, and man, it's... I, I would say they wouldn't either because, again, like you said, personality-driven baseball is kind of lacking in that already. And even if you keep him in the game, it's going to bring news, good or bad. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening, but there would be a huge suspension for him. And I have to imagine that it would be even more severe than what Hinch and Lunau got. Like, so you I, don't look, know how, I don't know how you don't go more. You look at the way Major League Baseball's handled all this, it, it's it's looked a little frantic. I mean, they're kind of running around their offices trying to handle this in the most proper way. The night all of that broke, Mike Trout, on some forum post, someone accused him of using HGH through a loophole. I know an MLB coach, you know, that kind of thing. That wouldn't be super notable. People were reacting to it because everyone was in a baseball mood, but then Major League Baseball responded to it and said, okay, no, but you would think at any other time they wouldn't even bother. Right. So is, is MLB on guard right now for controversy, trying to protect their reputation a little bit? I think they have to be. I mean, I, uh, I just found this picture of someone that was at Toronto Blue Jays Winterfest just this past weekend. And general uh, video replay rooms is actually a thing on this memo that was that has been sent out to all 30 MLB teams. And I'm kind of going back to the Boston Red Sox here for a second because it's alleged that they were taking it from the replay room and relaying, relaying it to the field. It says... Only designated 
video personnel may view the live feed of the game. The replay video system may only be used to advise the manager on whether to challenge the play. And there was another part in here that says all monitors in the replay room that show a broadcast feed of the game have to have a protective covering over them. So that really does not look good for the Boston Red Sox right now. If I'm a Red Sox fan, I'm shaking in my boots right now because this already sounds like the MLB has something on the Red Sox right now. You have to wonder whether restrictions around teams watching, especially in the playoffs when Fox has a cover, has a feed, MLB does their own feed internationally. You have to wonder whether there will be more restrictions on teams being able to watch those at all in the future. I would think there's probably something on that because even in the clubhouses, there's TVs everywhere that people are scoreboard watching. And I'm wondering if the MLB is going to start hammering down on that as well. Maybe have someone on guard in each clubhouse. I don't know. It's, it's a lot more complicated than it seems from a glance. Oh, for sure. And in response to the uh, Mike Trout saying with, uh, this fan that was saying, I'm the son of a former Seattle Mariners third base coach. That <laughs> it's like, it goes back to that. And it was Carlos Beltran. Beltran's niece. Oh, wait, yes. no, no, it wasn't. Nope, nope. Everyone just kind of assumed it was. Yeah, and then I think, what was it? Gary Sheffield Jr. that said, it's a player. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, the whole thing, it's... It's a little it's goofy. Like right now. We just got a bunch of snow here in Toronto, but it's like, it feels like the snowball's at the edge of the cliff getting ready to just roll down the hill. And for some teams, it's already yeah. started. And the MLB is just putting blockers on in front of their snowball and going, please do not roll down this hill because as soon as it goes, there's going to be a lot of revelations on a lot of teams that they do not want coming out. There's... Yeah, the MLB is in mass hysteria right now, and the the accounts that are coming out that are saying this stuff, like some of them have to be fake, like they have to be. But again, some of them are re- they like. I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean that that the whole <laughs> Beltron's niece thing was so <laughs> ridiculous, but um, it could be a player. Like we don't know. That's the thing with like the digital age, like. I even saw last night, John Boy tweeted about a potential Justin Verlander burner account where it's like he's clearly just going to this this account, this specific account is going to every tweet about Justin Verlander and he's like, he's replying and saying, oh, Justin Verlander, like the pitchers didn't cheat and the hitters put him onto this. Pitchers have done nothing and saying all, like he's just backing up the pitchers completely and Justin Verlander. So there's thought there, but who knows, again, like, we could, have no idea. Could be a mega fan, could be anything. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, it could be... It some, could be Kate Upton, for all we know. It could yeah, be it really could be. And But it could be someone trying to pose as if it is Justin Verlander. Right. And just trying to do it to get attention. So we don't know, but the the, the Mike Trout thing is kind of ridiculous. And I, I, I feel like this is just people now just trying to get into the... It's a hot topic. They're trying to get into it. Keep Baseball the news has, cycle alive. Right, and like baseball hasn't been this like controversial in a long time, where like everyone's talking about it. So, on it, you have to expect these sort of things to come out. And uh, the MLB addressing it is a little strange, to be honest. But 
I mean, at this point, everyone was talking about it, so I guess they kind of had to. I, I mean, at the same time, the saying is, bad publicity, any publicity is good publicity. Exactly. And right now, the MLB is like the talk of just any sports world. It's, yeah. Look what's going on in the MLB. And the MLB is probably going, you know what, let's just keep our investigations taking as long as possible. <laughs> hey guys, but, remember remember how these players are going to be playing controversially in these Nike jerseys next year? Okay. <laughs> it is Hall of Fame Day in lifetime, not like this really matters, but the Hall of Fame induction announcement not induction, I guess announcement will happen at 3pm Eastern that's about an hour and a half so we don't know who's getting into the Hall of Fame. By the time you listen to this, you will. So you can make fun of us for being wrong or being totally wrong or just having terrible ballots. Derek Jeter is considered the no-doubter for this. Larry Walker, Kurt Schilling are maybes. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are probably not. Because, you know, I'm all in on grammar. John, I'll start with you. <laughs> Derek Jeter, is it going to be unanimous? Uh, as much as it pains me to say it is, and not that he isn't deserving, because I think having the unanimous title shouldn't be as prestigious as it is made out to be, because there's only one player that's done it. I think there's quite a few people that should be unanimous. Isn't it just kind of ridiculous how a couple of people will, you know, it's going to be unanimous, so I don't want it to be, so I won't vote for him, but he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Well, that's the thing. It's like, yeah... I've got my own gripes. I think it's a little ridiculous that Derek Jeter's held at this standard of baseball greatness. Uh, but I also do recognize, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Like, he has to go in. The guy, he's won, like, he's, he's whatever he's done, five World Series, 3,000 hits, like, all those, all the surface-level stuff, yes, he's a Hall of Famer. Although I got my own problems, definitely a terrible infielder, uh, fielding-wise, anyways, and shouldn't really shouldn't have never been a shortstop in my opinion. But um, <laughs> all that aside, he is still a great player, deserves to be in. But it's like again, so does someone like Scott Rowland. So does like Andrew Jones, Larry Walker, like all these people. Don't, I would don't spoil your entire ballot for us, there. I know. Okay, I'm not trying to spoil the ballot, but I'm just saying these people. Those players should be held at the same standard as Jeter, but because Jeter was a, a Yankee, he's the captain, respect, whatever, all that nonsense. It's like, oh, he's a first ballot, and he has to go in, he has to go unanimous, but, you know, we'll let Larry Walker sit on here for 15 years, and, you know, even though he had a, I would think, just as successful as a career, like, like as a player, as impactful as impactful as Larry Walker was, I don't know. It's Thomas. Do you have any major disagreements with that one? I I have to say he's probably getting unanimous, but I mean now it's going to be only two two players that have ever gotten in unanimous, and it's the two of the biggest core of the New York Yankees in that run. Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter, and I have to agree that you know what the, per, the prestigious unanimous is such a joke because there's going to be like those two writers. There's going to be two out of every ballot, except for probably this year and last year, where it's like, oh, 
I was a Boston Red Sox fan growing up. I'm not voting for Derek G. He made me really mad. <laughs> yeah, he made me mad when he made that one play that spoiled my entire childhood. There's a and really there's a really mad Oakland A's fan that remembered right now, the yeah. flip that he threw uh, to get Jason Giambi at the plate in 2001 or whatever it was, and they're not going to vote for Jeter. <laughs> Yeah, with a with an accepted with a ballot of ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah, one mad Oakland A's writer. It, it's the one thing that like seriously makes me so upset is that one even like last year where it was well I don't vote for closing pitchers so I may not vote for Mariano Rivera. Yeah, are you serious? Yeah, He's the best closer of probably. Two decades or so. He was so good. He's the greatest closer of all time. Oh, for sure. But I mean, yeah. But it's like, how do you how do you just try to justify I'm not voting for X player because of this bias I have from my childhood or because of the team I write for? Like, it's such a ridiculous thing. That's that's and there lies my problems with the voting process of the Hall of Fame. It feels like it's been over a decade now where we've been talking Bonds and Clemens and steroids and all that. Where There's other off-the-field incidents with some of these players that I don't want to get too deep into. There's times and places to talk about that. Casual baseball podcast doesn't really feel like the vibe for that. But... Mm-hmm. But there's steroid controversy controversies, then there's Kurt Schilling. Where what ones bother you and which ones don't? I would say the Kurt Schilling one definitely bothers me because he's been on record for posting some really hate speech kind of stuff on social media and I understand he's one of the greatest pitchers in a certain era, but if uh, I know something that you've mentioned to me before, Pat, is the uh, character clause. Right. And when that coming to Kurt Schilling, it's like, I don't really want him representing baseball. Like, we have enough bad eggs in the Hall of Fame. Should I, we? I just feel like it's the laziest of takes to say, you know, there are already bad people in the Hall of Fame. What's, right. Let's just add more because, you know, it shouldn't matter. It, it, it yeah. feels weak to me. Exactly. Like, Ty Cobb was a racist. And it's like, no, like, this is a different time we live in. Like, we know better now. Like, we we shouldn't be allowing people like Kurt Schilling to get that kind of platform. And uh, I, I personally, I, I think that should be taken more into consideration, especially with someone like him. And um, again, it, it, I think we hold like it's it's kind of weird how people hold the Hall of Fame like in a certain standard, and I think it should be held more at a. It shouldn't be held at like a prestigious honor. Like, I I don't know. It's kind of tough for me because I think it should be, but at the same time, we should also just like vote people in who we think deserve to be recognized for being great players. And so, be less I, serious maybe about the sports side of things because it's fun at right. the end of the day, but be more serious about when people right. actually probably right. shouldn't be celebrated. 
Right. Like, I agree with Roger that. Cle- yeah, 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 exactly. Like, Roger Clemens seems like he is not a good guy. <laughs> like, we've seen that. We, we we saw him throw a bat at Mike Piazza. Like, we, we've seen things like this happen. There's stories about the guy. These May- we- Maybe be a little less hesitant to celebrate a guy like Billy Wagner. Like, something right. like that, maybe. Yeah, and I, I, I would just rather see players that were great, but also ones that represent the sport well and they know like they, they they have encompassed like they've they've made it fun and all that stuff you know what i mean yeah am i making sense uh, absolutely and i think Great. there okay. are <laughs> i think there's elements of on this particular show when we're talking about it there are excellent sources devoted entirely to discussing and analyzing the cases both positive and negative for guys like Schilling Clemens and bonds, even excluding the steroids that are brilliant. And you should absolutely take a look at them. But when we're discussing them in this context, it's harder to kind of manage that because it's a very, it's it's a very tricky road to go down. Thomas, what are your thoughts? My, my whole thing with off the field incidents, like I know there's steroids and steroids. I always say is that gray line of, yeah, it's an off-the-field incident, but it's also an on-the-field incident because it affects the performance on the field. And when I'm looking at a Hall of Fame, it's not I'm not looking at, okay, this is what they're like after they retire. I know it's like, well, they're representing baseball, but they're also representing that generation in baseball and being the best of their sport at that time when they were playing. And that's why I'm looking at Kurt Schilling, and it's like a... Eh, well, possibly because he was one of the better pitchers of his time. I mean, you look at Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, that was probably one of the best one-twos I've ever seen out of a starting rotation. So there's... And that's why that's a conversation, right? Because Schilling's baseball argument is pretty sealed. Oh, yeah, it's pretty sealed. And it's just... And that's, I think, going to be the thing that for baseball writers, as much slack as they get and as much absolute insults they get thrown at them, it's going to be a tough decision on Kurt Schilling just because there's going to be the argument of his personality once he's retired, being acting like a grumpy old man, or do we just look at his pure baseball stats and make his argument on that? And that's going to be a really, really tough choice and I'm glad I'm not one of those ones making the decision because I do not want to be in that in that situation for sure. And this, yeah, sorry, sorry to John. encapsulate all of like what I think, anyways, about Schilling is on paper, baseball wise, yes, I think he should be in, but I feel wrong saying that. And that's understandable. That's why I said I'm glad I'm not making the decision right. today. Exactly. Because... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> When you're looking at the pure steroid argument, and I know it's a bit of a tired argument because we've been having it for so long, the one my mind goes back to is steroid use within the steroid era when pretty much everyone was doing it versus steroid use outside of it, either before or after, especially the more recent ones like the second suspension for Manny Ramirez. Does that play a factor when it comes to the steroid guys for you? Does the number of suspensions play a factor when it comes to the steroid guys for you, John? Um, I mean, it's tough. I, I, I think it, 
I mean, it does it. It doesn't to me. Like, it. I guess it depends when they used it and when they got caught using it. But like, that's so hard to do because what if baseball was just allowing them to do it because they knew that they were good players and they didn't want this sort of thing to come out about them. Well, it's, it's the same them. thing as the cheating, right? Like, if Major League right. Baseball got a sense right. that the Astros were cheating in 2017, but no one knew yeah. it was good for the product. Maybe I, that's speculation on my part, but you know, yeah. same sort Again, of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of my point. Cause like someone like Manny Ramirez is someone that I is a guy I grew up like, well, I loved watching him play. He was same. such a, he was such a fun character on the field, but he also has been caught and suspended multiple times so it, it is a tough thing to think about, but, um, man, I, it, it is, the suspension part is really tough and it's, it's hard for me to, to just like justify a vote, a vote when I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't like what the Astros have done, but I, I like Manny Ramirez. I don't know. I, I think it's better that I just leave it off, leave them off if they've been caught because then I can just say, yeah, I really like watching them play, but they, so we're, they were, uh, they cheated. So I mean, we're not, I, again, it's one of those things where Manny Ramirez, I mean, I, I grew up watching tons of Blue Jays baseball. So saw Manny Ramirez a little too often, but I mean, he was such a good player and him and Big Poppy seriously were like, yeah. it was like facing murderers row. You, you think watching Jay's games exclusively was enough Manny Ramirez growing up. Try doing that and playing MVP Baseball 2005 to get into baseball where he was on the cover. There was yeah, a Red Sox true. song in it. He was on every photo. It's, yeah. it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I had someone come to me the other day and try to make a case for why Alex Rodriguez, when he gets on the ballot, should be a Hall of Famer. And I'm looking at that, I'm going, that is like... There was no doubt he was probably one of the better hitters, but he's also come out and said, and I think got suspended two or three times. But like just coming out and saying, I use steroids, and it's like, well, then again, you go back to the cheating. But how with, much does that right affect? How much does that affect their stats and like the the modification if like. It's it's such a hard decision, and you look at guys like Roger Clemens, who was a fantastic pitcher, hands down, but again, he was caught using steroids, and it affects his entire, I think, baseball resume, because it's, you know, you only got caught in this year, but who says you weren't using it before then? Is there... And it just becomes such a mind-boggling too intense argument to even start trying to dissect any hard course setting. Is there a consideration, and I, I touched upon this before because it's a personal thing with me, so I'll, I'll say that right now. I would vote for Alex Rodriguez. But hmm. is there a consideration to be made that he used steroids and admitted to using steroids within the steroid era when most players were using them? He wasn't caught using them afterwards, let's be honest. Let's uh, not be honest. Let's remember properly. I don't know. English isn't <laughs> English isn't uh, being super strong for me today. But he was suspended after. He admitted after. 
But when he was using it, it was right in the middle, 2003-ish, right? So it was right, right in the middle of that era where pretty much every player was assumed to be on it. Shouldn't that be a factor? I think you can make a case for it. You definitely can make a case for it. And it's going to just depend on whether or not the Baseball Writers Association of America agrees. Because there's going to be the ones, the same ones that will only put one player on their ballot every year because they had one player that was rejected. And so therefore it's one person on the ballot every year. And it's just, it's going to be one of those things that maybe it's a 75 that he gets in like only three quarters are like, you know what? Yes. He admitted to it. And he was still one of the best players of his time. So there's a case to be made for it. I don't know if they're going to maybe make a steroid era, like, wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then oh, you can just bring... One. They have one, yeah, okay. So Kind of. They, they It's it's a little hidden, I'll admit it. <laughs> Wonder why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't That's wait until there's some writer, and you know this is going to happen, that just brings out the ballot, and it's uh, just Alex Rodriguez... And that's, everyone, that's exactly what I'm talking about. everyone reacts person. to their ballot. Uh, it's yeah. it's going to happen. And I would say this, going back to the Hall of Fame and the steroid era, I do think that they should embrace it more because they let it happen. Like Bud Selig let it happen. It We all watched it, and uh, I think they should embrace it a little more. And even though, yeah, some of the players got caught cheating, I'm like flipping, I'm flipping, flip flopping back and forth here on this. Whole thing. <laughs> yeah, a little it, bit. It, it, but it, it, it's tough. It's There's tough. still the players everyone grew up watching from that era, right? Right. Yeah. And, and you can't just erase an entire era. Exactly. And I think the Hall of Fame should embrace it more because, like, the museum is about the history of baseball. Like, that's the cool thing about it. Like when you go, you you go through all these eras of baseball and you're seeing all these different things. And it's like, wow, like I'm, I feel like I'm going through a time machine. Like I'm going through, I'm li- reliving all of this stuff right now. The, and, and that's where it gets difficult for a lot of people as well when it comes to people like shilling, because on one hand, you know, it's a museum, you have to preserve some of that. Right. But on the other hand, you're putting these people on a pedestal. So yeah. that's exactly where that tricky balance is there as well. Exactly, and that's that's what's that's what I'm at odds with right now. Is like again, I I think we should remember good and bad stuff in baseball, but I don't know some of these players. I just don't think deserve that kind of platform. All right, so let's go. Let's do our ballots now. We've talked about the Hall of Fame for a while now, so let let's hear what we what consensus we came to. Thomas, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. So my ballot. So Derek Jeter, obviously one of the better offensive players. We won't go into his defensive metrics because they are absolutely awful. But <laughs> he, he got my vote as, long, as well as Canadian Larry Walker. Billy Wagner I put on. He's one of the better closers in baseball. And, I mean, Trevor Hoffman got in. His stats are very comparable to Billy Wagner. So I'm like, you know what? He definitely deserves to get in. I did put Kurt Schilling in for just his pure baseball stats. He was one of the better pitchers of his time, and I think he deserves to be in, not because he's a great person, because he's not, but he was a great baseball player, and I, I don't see how you can say it's a baseball history museum if you don't have a guy like Kurt Schilling in there. 
And to wrap off my ballot, I also have Andy Pettit. Just, again, part of that core for the Yankees that was so strong. And I know he's probably not getting in because there's not a huge amount of support for him. But Which is I, weird. I, 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 I just want to add. It yeah. is weird that he's... I think I saw earlier today just some of the predictions and he was like 15.9%. Yeah, it's like, so bizarre. It feels like the Clemens argument without the other problems that Clemens has outside of steroids. Yeah. 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 And that actually, so my ballots, five players, Jeter, Pettit, Schilling, Wagner, and Walker. So you went with the five-player ballot, obviously leaving five players off. Are there any players you considered putting on and decided against? Uh, Andrew Jones was one of them that I was really tossing back and forth with for a good time. It was like, he was a fantastic player. I was just looking at him like, I don't, I, I looked at even case arguments for why he should be in. I'm like, I just don't see, at least this time, I'm like, I just don't see it. Uh, Scott Rowland was another one, uh, Toronto Blue Jays legend. Uh, the mm. for <laughs> year and a half. Year and a half legend. Traded him for Encarnacion, so. Yeah, yeah it, it, it traded him worked well. out. Yeah, but both I, sides. I considered him as well, Gary Sheffield. Um, yeah, there was. I even considered Bobby Abreu for a little bit as well. He was a fantastic player too. So there was quite a few players that I did consider that I would just I couldn't make myself say yes for sure. I think this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. But I mean, there's quite a few guys that are going to be on here next year as well. So maybe a change has come next year, but. John? Yeah, so my ballot is what it's a bit longer. It's and it's Most of them are than five players, to be truthful. Yeah, and because about, for me, I think like taking in consideration some of their... I, I, I'm not a big like personal accolades kind of guy because in baseball it's so stat-centric now. So it's kind of like my threshold is usually around like 50 F4. Um, so with a lot of these votes, it's coming from like I've like usually guys that are over about 55 war. And uh, so I had Derek Jeter, Andrew Jones, Andy Pettit, Bobby Abreu, Scott Rowland, uh, Larry Walker. And I also, I'm, <laughs> I want... <laughs> I want to put Manny Ramirez, but I, I keep on changing my mind on this. And because if I am saying, you know, screw it, we're, we're embracing <laughs> the steroid era, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, I don't know how many votes I have on my ballot right now. I think I'm at seven or something. I, or I'm miscounting. No, I think you're at eight with those two. Okay, I'm at eight. I think. Um, math is hard guys math yeah hard. i know <laughs> i'm losing track of my votes here but uh sammy sosa Manny ramirez gary sheffield put them all in put them all in <laughs> get them in there i want them all in they're great players they encapsulated an era that was what i grew up with and what made me fall in love with baseball and great players to add to it and um and they I, as far as I know, they don't have the outside stuff that's uh, kind of put a cloud over 
their career kind of like guys like Clemens Barnes or Schilling. And, uh, I, uh, like to add like the Schilling points really good and I, I can't fault you for it. So, uh, because he is, it, the baseball stuff is there for him, but, uh, for someone like Scott Rowland, I think is just un, super underappreciated for what he did in a time where, uh, like, I feel like a lot of players were overlooked in the steroid era. Carlos Delgado is a great example. He was off the ballot after one year, even though he was one of the greatest hitters of that time. But because there's just, there was so, the, there was like an inflection, like the, there's so much, uh, so many players that playing such a high level at that time, it's hard to tell. And Scott Rowland's one of those guys that I feel like was super underappreciated. Like, Can I make and- everyone who knows me roll their eyes? With with uh, saying that Johan Santana should have gotten way more support than he did, yeah. <laughs> like I realize, and no one has context for this because I only really say it outside of like in group chats or in real life or whatever. But I have said several times over the last few years that I think Johan Santana should have had more consideration. And I think he fits right. in around that fr- or around that um, Carlos Delgado kind of area. I agree, and I think it's a little weirder that he was off so quickly, especially because he was an ace during that time. He was the best player in baseball for three or four years. Yeah, and the problem is it was only three or four years. Yeah, <laughs> but but still, like being a great pitcher during that time was so difficult, and you think that the pitchers would get more appreciation from it, but I don't know. It's it's a it's a little strange, and. Uh, I realize yeah. there were more pitchers from that era who were really good before they got hurt, like, uh, or just fell off, I guess, like Barry Zito, Mark Mulder. But mm-hmm. Santana was just so far ahead of everybody in that era. Right. And we saw injuries derail his career. Who knows? His career may have ended up more like Sabathia's, where it just slowly kind of declined over a nice long career. And he has a decent case, but you don't right. know whether he'll get in. We'll never know, right? But he was yeah. at the top of his craft for a short period of time. Yeah. Um, that, again, completely fair. And I just don't want to see that happen to the guys that I think are deserving, like uh, Bobby Abreu like, and right. Scott Rowland and uh, Larry Walker, especially. Like, I know he's kind of been on the ballot for a long time now. But this is his last year, right? Yeah. And if he doesn't get in, doesn't he have a chance to be voted in in this separate thing that they the do now? Veterans or, yeah. Committee, I believe so, yes. Yeah, so uh, hopefully, because, you know, Harold Baines got him through that. Hopefully. I suspect that's where the players like Yadier Molina and CC Sabathia will get in from as well. Exactly, yeah. And I think Larry Walker, if he doesn't get in on this final last hurrah, I have to imagine that he would get in through that way as anyways. So, uh, I, I hopefully, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I would assume that would be the case. But anyways, yeah, those, uh, I think they, uh, yeah, those are, that, that was my ballot. Is uh, there anybody, I asked Thomas this, I'll ask you too, is there anybody who was close but you couldn't vote for other than Schilling? Uh, Jose Valverde. That's a, that's a joke. Valverde. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, no, I, he, I, I, I'll be honest, I, when you said that, I looked up and down the ballot to make sure he was on the ballot. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think that's about like, I mean, I got like, I'm sure there's 10 picks on there. I didn't count, but, uh, that's about like everyone that I would like to see in, in, and, uh, if, 
again, if I was a writer, I'm I'd probably choose ten players every year unless unless they like the one ballot was just really like it, thin. It, yeah, right. thin. The the one year I'm sure I would used up most of my votes because uh, again I I think there's each year there's players that get underappreciated and they're and that I think are deserving to get it. So can I just say one thing? No, uh, because I do have a tweet from uh, from from Larry Walker. He does say he thinks he's going to come up a little bit short today, and I think the one thing that makes me so angry that if Larry Walker doesn't get in mm. is the baseball writers that are like, "Well, he played half his games at Coors, and it's still a major league stadium. It's still a major league stadium, yeah. and I mean the dimensions of the ballpark are massive." It's such it's yeah it's such a lame argument at this point. Like, it is. can you imagine getting drafted by a major league baseball team, having a Hall of Fame career, and then getting punished for your loyalty by saying, "Well, it was it was that stadium." <laughs> it, yeah, it's like it's like when when and if Jose Bautista ever officially retires and gets on the ballot, and then there's <laughs> going to be some people. Well, he played most of his good years at Rogers Center. He played in Canada. Yeah, he played in Canada, and the ball flies there because it's cold. And, well, Do you think Batista gets in? Depends on the ballot. It, no, I, I don't. It, on. it feels I don't like it. it feels like he'd he fall short. Again, like maybe said, a veterans committee guy, but I kind of doubt that too. It also depends on the people that are on said ballot when he's on when he's that's true officially on it. Because right. if it's such a thin ballad, then there's going to be people that are like, okay, the the 2015 postseason is probably enough to get some people to vote for him. At uh, least some. Yeah, you big, big postseason year. moment, right? Yeah. I, I mean, the Texas Rangers baseball writers are going to be very upset. They're just going <laughs> to never vote for him. But Can we use our, uh, our Bautista spot to scribble that out and just put Odor in, please? Is that, yeah. is that legal? <laughs> they will. They will. Just, um, I'll only vote for Bautista if there's a picture of Odor punching him. That, my, that's his plaque. <laughs> my Hall of Fame ballot is pretty similar to John's. couple of differences. I went Jeter, Andrew Jones, Pettit, Abreu, Todd Helton, Scott Rowland, Sheffield, and Walker. I only voted for eight. Vizquel and Wagner were close, but I couldn't quite give myself the push to put them down. Um, that's pretty much it. He, he played his career in Colorado. How yeah. dare you vote for him? I mean, you look at Todd Helton, and this isn't really in response to that, but it's in response to him not getting a ton of support. You look at Todd Helton's stats, they're pretty good. I mean, yeah, 61... 316 career average, that's traditional. And it's, 14 OBP. For the sabermetrics side of things, if you look at his B-War, it's 61. I mean, I personally... It's insane. I know John said he looked for 50-plus F-War. Yeah. I personally tend to use B-War just a little bit more. It's a personal thing. And I look for 60-plus B-War yeah. in my assessments. And Helton hits that for me, and he hits other things for me. He had over 350 home runs... He could hit for contact. He's perfectly qualified, in my opinion, and that's why he ends up on my ballot. Yeah, I can't. I can't dispute that. All right. I think. I think for Helton, 
for me anyways, is he was at on Fangraphs. I mean, I use Fangraphs. It, it doesn't matter. It's whatever. It's they're, okay. They're I'm muting that part of the podcast anyway, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. No. Um, <laughs> he's at 55 F4, and that's like the threshold. And I think at that point, I'm just when you're on the borderline, it's like, okay, what did you accomplish? And what team, like, I know that's not really fair to put on a singular guy in baseball, but I don't know. There needs to be a little bit more something. That feels unlike you. I know, but if it's on the borderline, then I can say this. But look, look at his splits home and away. Yeah, in a one point yes at home and a three forty five average. Yeah, when he he's had at, the Coors effect, everybody. When I'm he's at, you. when he's on the threshold, that's when I take in for park effects. That's exactly what I do. No, I I don't know. Maybe I'm making an excuse right now, but um, I, I, I there there needs to I need to have I need to have morals. I need to have I need to stand. I need to have a stand on something, and I need to set set guidelines for what I vote for. So. I'm, I'm going to do that right now. All right. Uh, this podcast is starting to get a little lengthy, so I do want to switch the gears a little bit and talk about the new-look Toronto Blue Jays, more the new players than the current players since we are running out of time. But before we do that, they have a new look. It's powder blue. It's old. It's new. What do you think? Thomas? I like it. I like it. Me Great. too. The best. Love it. It's it's finally they did something new with their jerseys. It's been a while, and uh, I'm gonna the, the hats. I'm gonna have to take a little bit of getting used to. I thought it was a little much going powder blue in the hats, but I, you know, I uh, like the I look, white panel hats still the most. Yeah, I think if they did white panel with those jerseys, I'd be more into it. But you know, I'm looking at the hats and it's, I'm like, eh, I might buy that. I'm, I, I, I like the matte uh, batting helmets too. Yes, yeah, me too. I like, and the, the 3D logo, finally, they're bringing in the 3D logo. I'm glad it's... I've, I, al- I've always thought that looked good, even when the Dodgers first tried it. Yeah, I, I love that look. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely glad the Powder Blues are back. I'm definitely going to have to buy one of those jerseys, even though I'm unbiased. All right. Let's go to the players now, since that's, you know, a jersey. Uh, we talked about Hunjin Ryu. That's not the only name they've got to fill out the rotation. They added Tanner Roark. They added Chase Anderson. I want to start with Anderson because a lot of people seem to think he's a lock for the rotation. And I look at that rotation. I look at Shoemaker, Roark, Ryu, Baraki, Thornton. I look at Anderson's home run count. You know, with that contract, you'd think he'd be a lock, but I kind of don't think so. Agree or disagree? Thomas? I'm going to have to say he's not a walk, but it depends on his spring training because a lot of what you said, the home run count, yada, 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 you know that what that reminds me of? Another pitcher that the Jays got from the Milwaukee Brewers, Marco Estrada. That's true. Everyone said he gives up too many home runs. He gives up too many home runs. Why would they bring him into the AL East? He's going to be absolutely slacked. He put up some of the best numbers of his career in the AL East with relatively low home run numbers from what we were expecting until injuries caught up to him and the last two years were absolutely terrible. But I think you have to really see what I think pitching coach P. Walker can do with him because if 
if he can figure something out to get his uh, contact rate, ground ball rate up, and fly ball rate down, that the middle infield right now with Biggio and uh, Bichette looks really strong. If Guerrero can improve defensively, that's he has a cannon of an arm for a third baseman. And it's just going to be a matter of what his numbers look like in the spring, and maybe you give him a few trial runs to start the year, and if not, then you've got guys waiting in the wings. Having depth like this is not a bad thing to have at all. They used over, wasn't it over 20 starting pitchers last year? I lost count after 20. So I, I, su- I suspect having six or seven at the start of the year isn't going to be a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, for Anderson, um, he was a guy just a couple of seasons ago. He had a 274 ERA with the Brewers, you know, three win player, 25 starts. But uh, look, I, I think he I, he'll probably be in the back end of the rotation to start the year. And because Anthony Kay has options and I'm sure that they'd like him to, you know, start in Buffalo. But even though I think he should be up with the team, but and then um, there's Waggis pack there as well. Yeah, I mean. Whatever happens with Waggis Pack... He was pretty point. solid last year. He, Yeah, no, he was solid, but it's... Again, he is a guy that they got for Aaron Loop, so... He, he feels like Gavilio to me. Anything is better than Aaron Loop, let's be real. He, he feels oh, like... Know, but anything, like... I Honestly, I don't think they really care what happens with Waggis Pack. I, I don't think so. I think they're just like, hopefully... Hopefully he's just, like... Um, it's amazing if he's, like, a fifth starter for a year, but, like, <laughs> other than that, I think they're just, like... Let's go with the flow with this guy. But Chase Anderson is a guy that they actually traded for, right. valued him somewhat. And uh, comparing him to Estrada kind of makes sense, too. Uh, he he kind of he came out of the bullpen a little bit last year as well. Uh, Anderson, that is. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, starting him out as a fifth guy, fourth guy makes sense. So, yeah. I believe... Uh the Jays see Waggis Pack in a similar way to how they saw Gavilio his first year, where yeah, that yeah. might be a guy who makes a spot start, but you know, a long if he's solid as a long reliever, then that hopefully, would be yeah. that the would be opener. very very good. The opener, yeah. Hopefully, like I I know that they wouldn't be giving Waggis spot Waggis Pack a spot over Anthony K or someone like right. that. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned something I found interesting. You said just a couple of seasons ago with Chase Anderson. That feels like a bit of a trend, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. It just means the Blue Jays are buying low on a lot of players. There's Anderson, there's Travis Shaw, there's Joe Panic. Like, there's a lot, even Randall Gritchick. There's a lot of, you know, they were really, really solid a couple of years ago, but they're kind of projects a little bit right now. Yeah, the, I think. The, I think. Yeah, and I think it's. I think it's something that the Jays, like, it's smart to do. Why not take chances on these guys? Like, I mean. They could all miss, but at the same time, you have to feel like, look, if we take a chance on four or five guys on relatively cheap contracts, hopefully, like, if we get something out of one of them, we we succeeded. And uh, for guys like Travis Shaw, Chase Anderson... And I like, like that of, Travis Shaw contract a yeah, lot. So do I. I think because Travis Shaw, it, it was just 2018 when, if I believe... Uh, if I'm not mistaken here, it was 2018 where he was really solid with the Brewers. Yeah, a key part in their uh, run to the uh, NLCS and uh, an OPS of 
over 800, you know, uh, 30 home runs. And he did that the year before with Milwaukee. It makes, so it makes a lot more sense to go in that direction to me than it does to go with Encarnacion, who we've seen has declined a bit or even smoke where I think Justin smoke was a great fit for the blue Jays before. But if you look at his stats, they do look like they're declining a bit. Can we just say that was a one for one trade? No, because it wasn't. It's Justin smoke to Milwaukee for Travis. (laughs) I mean, technically we can. Wait, where did, did smoke go to Milwaukee? Yeah, Yeah, I did. Did I, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he went for $5 million, didn't he? Yeah, it's a relatively similar contract to Travis Shaw. So, oh, yeah. no, we can't say it was a trade because it wasn't, but it was basically a trade. Yeah, yeah they basically... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I remember, I remember, because it was, like, it was, like, almost consecutive days, wasn't it? Wasn't it, like... It wasn't that far off, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was, like, one day. But you look at... Like, you look at even... I think, like we said, the Jays are really buying low on some what are really good players, in all honesty. And you look at even like the Eric Sogard deal from last year, a guy that you really didn't expect to make the team, makes the team, comes yes. up. Great example. Hitting like, I think it was like 300, over 300. Right. To be fair, and that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, though. It did. Well, like, like exactly, you, you look at Joe Panic, and at least there's more of a track record there. Right. Yeah. And that's that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, and that's that's why you take the chance. Like, right. It's that's the that's the smart thing about taking these these buy low deals. It's cheap, and it's uh, you know you'd rather see them spend the money on guys that are proven. But at the same time, it makes total sense when you have a young roster. Like, try and see what you can get out of some of these guys. And you know, if the Jays if the Jays are good, then great. That's because some of these guys have stepped up, and if they're not, then hopefully some of those guys were playing well, and you know, just the rest of the roster wasn't doing well, and maybe they can get something for those guys at the deadline, like Eric Sogard. So players to be named later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are yeah. We're, yeah. we're around the hour mark in the podcast now, so I want to wrap things up a little bit. Any final thoughts about the direction the Blue Jays are taking? Let's start with you, Thomas. I like it. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being aggressive. You, you've seen even just from the small sample size of what this young core can be. And I think seeing some of the interviews that uh, were done at Winterfest with some of the younger players, they're glad to see that this front office really believes in them and their ability to be a competitive team. And you have to remember, the AL East is one of the hardest divisions in baseball still. And if you're fighting for third with Tampa, Boston, depending on what moves they make, mm-hmm. you're you're right in the mix, and it's not that far off. And I think I was talking to you earlier in the week, Patrick, about this team is not as far off as people say they are. They're, su- they're super close to being a really competitive team for a long time. And And even those who would say that that's more of an optimistic take, I think unlike with what we've seen with a lot of Blue Jays moves the last couple of seasons, even the most pessimistic fans would probably have to stretch a bit to find a lot of complaints with where they're the direction they're heading right now. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And it's one of those things where you're seeing more, I don't want to say focused moves, but intentional moves. It's starting to feel like this front office's direction is in motion. Like their plans in motion. Instead of being in limbo of what are we, the identity of the team is starting to take shape. It's starting to really feel like... Mm -hmm. And I guess that started at the deadline last year when Sanchez, Stroman, when they moved on from those two, right? And I can't say that I know a lot of people were complaining about the Sanchez trade. It really hasn't turned out to be that bad because the Astros moved the prospect involved in that deal. It looked bad, though. It looked bad, but now you're looking at it. Sanchez is out for this entire season. Biagini had like a six ERA with the Astros. I mean, maybe another team was figuring out the trash cans in Minute Maid Park and were banging it for Joe Biagini, or he's just not a great pitcher in Minute Maid Park. But it looked bad on paper, and I think a lot of the moves did. But now you even have more prospect depth that if you want to make a trade of substantial import, uh, significance, you can do that now with some of these pitching prospects and players that you've picked up in these trades. Not Derek Fisher, but you have guys like Stephen Wes Richardson that he's at that age where he's still young, he hasn't dropped off in value. If you want to throw him in a deal, you can do that and get a substantial package back. John, if if put yourself in the shoes of because I feel like this has been really optimistic so far about the Blue Jays, mm. and I don't want to take away from that because I think there's cause for a lot of optimism. But yeah, for sure, if you can come up with a counter to that, what would it be? I would say that nothing's been proven yet with any of these guys, like Biggio, Bichette. Guerrero. Guerrero is coming off a season that was really not that great. It was fine, but we still don't know. Like he had, there's like some problems in his swing where he, it looked like he's almost swinging for ground balls most of the time. And we still don't know what he's going to be like this year. And again, the starting pitching depth, like is Tanner Roark going to be the number two? Cause like on a good team, he's a five or a four. And so there's some questions there. Hyunjin Ryu, his, his, it, uh, it, uh, my gosh, the word I'm looking for, uh, durability. Thank you for myself for thinking about that. You're um, welcome. Um, I just thank myself. That was weird. Um, <laughs> We've all had our moments. Um, his durability, the bullpen behind Giles, what's there, what's really going to be there. But that being said, I could see this team winning 70 games and I could see them winning, you know, over 80. I think they're around the 80 mark. I think we see a little bit of what happened last year where, uh, when Bichette came up, they were just like this, like a little bit of a, they were just a feisty little team that was like, we're going to compete with the good teams and we're going to beat up on the bad teams. And that's kind of what I expect from this year with this squad. And, um, it, to be at least enjoyable, like you're going in and you get to watch these young players just have so much fun playing baseball. That's what was so great about last year towards the end anyways, is you started to see some of that life come back to the Rogers Center and you saw it come back in Blue Jays uniforms, which you hadn't seen since 2015. And um, I would say, you know, set keep the expectations low. It's hard to do that when you're a Blue Jays fan because 
you are so used to disappointment and when something good happens like getting a Hyunjin Ryu you want to set the expectations high but keep them low and just you know what whatever happens like just hope for the best and because uh, that's all you can really do with a team this young and uh, just just at the start of what this like they are at the bottom of the mountain of what they could possibly be. That was the most optimistic, pessimistic view I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it realistic. So, <laughs> On that note, thank you both for joining us uh, for OBP, the on-base podcast here on 641media.com. We'll have to do it again in the future. Talk about some of the current players on this team, on this Blue Jays team, who, you know, there's different projections for all of them. It's very interesting to deep dive it, but I think we've done enough today. The Hall of Fame announcement is in about 45 minutes our time. We're going to go take a look at that and uh, we'll see you in the future. Thank you so much for listening.